This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. I pity the fool goes home crying to his mama. Bring out your dick! By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I'm going to bring you another actual story. I mean, not one of my stories, but from an actual author. I'm recording this the week before Halloween and I've always wanted to bring you some of the scary stories that I grew up with. Some of the things that scared me put shivers up my spine. Some stories that made me lose sleep at night. There was one called The Willows that just creeped me out. Oh man, that was scary. It's very, very long and I'm not going to try to read it to you or share it with you because it's very, very long. But I recommend it. You can find it online. I don't mind reading scary stories. I've read Stephen King. I've read Peter Straub. I read The Exorcist. I read The Omen. There was a period of my life where I was reading everything that was demonology involving demon possession, devils invading the earth, Rosemary's Baby was on the list. I read all that kind of stuff. But I remember a book when I was a kid called Famous Ghost Stories. And that's where The Willows comes from. I remember sitting down and reading that and just getting really, really nervous about it because it just depicted this eerie forest-type setting set along a river. And the way it was described, it was just so creepy and it really sent chills up my spine. And I've always been fascinated with reading things more than seeing movies about these things because in your mind, it's so much more scary. One of the earliest authors that I remember reading, and this was in grade school, this was required reading, but it fascinated me, Edgar Allan Poe. One of the first stories I remember reading, The Cask of Amontillado. I also remember reading The Black Cat. And of course, we read The Raven, all Edgar Allan Poe stories. Now, Edgar Allan Poe, I mean, we all know who he is, but we sometimes forget how long ago he wrote. He was born in 1809. He was writing in the early 1800s. The scary stuff that he was writing is almost 200 years old. That's crazy when you think about it. Because some of the stuff, I mean, it's really disturbing, but in an old English kind of way. For instance, in preparation for this episode, I reread The Black Cat. And when you reread The Black Cat, or if you read it for the first time, there's some disturbing stuff in that story. I mean, there's stuff in that story that would have you classify anybody who wrote it today as a psychopath. And yet Edgar Allan Poe was just writing it as, you know, it's a story. I'm not going to spoil the story, The Black Cat, for you. If you want a little bit of a disturbing read, go check out The Black Cat, available online. It's in the public domain. And I was going to share that story with you today, but I decided to save that one for a later time because I wanted to share with you one of the stories that stayed with me from the first time that I read it. I think it was sixth grade. I remember reading it. I remember it staying with me. And to this day, I still remember the story. It's called The Telltale Heart. This was written in 1843. This also in the public domain. It's available online if you want to read it yourself. But what I'm going to do for you today is we're going to give it the Halloween room treatment. We're going to get a little background going and maybe we'll spice it up a little bit with some Halloween sound. So we'll see if we can make it an interesting experience for you. And maybe it'll stay with you the way it stayed with me. But before we do that, we're going to go to the Halloween room again. I know, we only usually go once a year, but this is a special year. It's 2020. All kinds of weird stuff are happening in 2020. So two trips to the Halloween room. Might as well add that to the list. So here we go. And yes, I moved the chair closer to the door because this room is too damn big. 
All right, so to give the Telltale Heart the full Halloween room treatment, we're going to give us a little background feel, we're going to set the mood, and we're going to try to make this an experience for you. But before we get started, one of the things that I do want to say is the interesting thing about Edgar Allan Poe's stories is the ones that I've mentioned, the Black Cat, the Cask of Amontillado, the Raven, and the one we're going to do today, the Telltale Heart, they're all written in the first person, meaning you're reading it from the perspective of the person who's doing the writing. And that makes them very interesting to me because it puts you in the shoes of the storyteller. You're the storyteller. You're the person in the story. In these kind of weird little stories, in these kind of scary, suspenseful, thriller kind of stories, it's kind of a weird feeling to be reading these in the first person. Without going into too much detail, without giving too many spoilers, when you read about the hero in the story, which is you because you're reading, I did this, I did that. When you read it, I killed this person. I did this horrible thing. It's kind of unsettling. At least it is for me. And maybe that's what makes it so interesting to me, to read these stories. And I hope it makes it interesting to you. Now, it also makes it an interesting thing to read out loud. Because as I read this to you, I'm going to read it just as it's written. The language is definitely 19th century. You'll hear the language that he uses. And it's going to sound a little archaic at times. But I'm going to do my best to make it as natural as possible without coming across as a psychopath. I'll do my best. So here we go. This is The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How, then, am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but, once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He'd never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Mad men know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded. With what caution. With what foresight. With what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Huh. Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights every night just at midnight, but I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work. 
for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed, to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea. And perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch, with a thick darkness, for the shutters were close-fastened, through fear of robbers, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, and was about to open the lantern, when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still, and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo, the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise, when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor. Or, it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he has been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions. But he had found it all in vain. All in vain. Because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a single dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot from out of the crevice and full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And now have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. 
It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If still you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men, who introduced themselves with perfect suavity, as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. <laughs> I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness. Until at length, I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. Yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, 
much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles, in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark, louder, louder, louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart. So that's the telltale heart. That's one of the stories that has stayed with me since sixth grade. The psychopathic killer who decides to kill the old man he's living with. And I've never been sure, is that a guy he's living with? Is it his father? Is it his grandfather? It's never made clear. It's just an old dude with a bad eye that the guy's living with. But the old man's freaky eye pissed the hero of the story off for whatever reason, whatever psychopathic reason he had, and so he smothers him in the middle of the night. And then his own guilty conscience, or karma, is this an early appearance of karma back in the 1800s? Karma comes back and bites him in the ass. Now when you look at this story, this is a story, as I said, from 1843. And what does it involve? It involves a crazy guy who kills a man and then chops him up into little pieces. I mean, you caught that, right? He chops him up into little pieces and hides the pieces under the floorboard. Maybe that's one of the reasons that I don't like the gore and torture movies that I was talking about when I was reviewing the horror movies. Because from an early age, I've known that people chop people up without a second thought. I mean, how cavalierly did that happen in this story? Yeah, I just chopped him up, put him under the floorboards. But I think this story is an example of one of the reasons why I don't mind scary stories, why I like some scary stories. A story like this gives us a view to a a world, sensation of feelings, things that we would never think of doing, but it gives us the opportunity to, I guess, experience these things and, I guess, feel emotions that we wouldn't otherwise feel. I mean, that's a really troubling story when you think about it. And there's nothing wrong with being troubled. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. There's nothing wrong with being grossed out by a story like that. Stories like this get you to experience a range of emotions. And don't forget, when this was written, 1843, people didn't usually hear about other people being chopped up and put under the floorboards of their own house. If nothing else, the story moves your emotions. And I think that's true for pretty much any horror story, any ghost story. That's why we like ghost stories and horror stories. Tales of the Fantastic, Tales from the Crypt, if you will. I talked about the movies The Exorcist and The Omen. I read the books, too. The books are far more terrifying to me than the movies were. The movies were scary. But the books, your imagination takes you to those places that you otherwise don't normally get to go. The fear of the unknown. 
The fear of things you've never experienced? The fear of things you've never even thought of before? And I think that's why we like ghost stories, horror stories, killer stories. It takes us places we don't usually get to go. And honestly, when you dig into the meat of this story, the telltale heart, it takes us some really creepy places. And I guess it's just an indication that for a lot longer than maybe we realize, we human beings have liked to go to those really creepy, terrifying, horrible places. It's nice to be able to leave them at the end of the story, but we've always had the fascination for that area, don't you think? That's why we like the spooky stories. That's why we like the scary movies. As I mentioned, Edgar Allan Poe has a number of really creepy stories out there. I just reread The Black Cat. I remember the cask of Amontillado. Poe went to some really dark places. If you can get past some of the archaic language from the 19th century, if you let yourself get into the stories, you'll see that his protagonists were kind of sociopathic. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. But it's evidence that there's been that kind of thread in human storytelling for quite a while. So if you want to read something that's a little off the beaten trail, you can find Edgar Allan Poe and a lot of other great storytellers from the 1800s, from the 1900s, all available online. Just do a search for 10 great ghost stories from the 1800s. I bet you find some that you're going to like. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Hope you liked Edgar Allan Poe this week. If nothing else, it'll give you something to think about. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. As always, I can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.